Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Morning. So welcome to Gospel Community Church. As it was said earlier, everything we do here is to lift up and make Jesus a hero. Uh, my name is Ronnie. I'm one of the pastors here, and I hope that that comes across in the message today. We are taking a break from the book of Judges. As a church, we've been going through that in a sermon series entitled, Trust Me, I Know I'm Right, purposely misspelled because the whole idea behind the book of Judges is they were just kind of running amok away from God and thought they had everything figured out. But we're going to pause on that for three weeks and uh, take a break and look and see what the scriptures have to say about rest. And, and Rick kind of, when, when planning these three weeks of focusing on it, he, he came up with the rest a little bit more than just a recommendation. Uh, God didn't just give us rest as something that might be a good idea, or maybe we should try it out and see how it works, but it's, we even see in the passage we're going to be looking at today, it's actually a command from God to, to stop, to take a break, to cease and, and rest. And it's actually a big part of the gospel. I mean, the gospel is all about resting in what Christ has done. There's nothing that we could do to earn our salvation, but that it's a free gift given to us. So we, I mean, the, the, what we do in earning our merit and our salvation if, if there's anything at all, it's just to stop and look to God as the one who saves us and, and pull ourselves out of the equation and just take a break and, and rest from trying to earn it. So that's what we're going to be focused on over the next three weeks, just to kind of set that up. Today, we're going to be in Leviticus 25, 8 through 12. And to provide some context, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Leviticus, it's funny um, Archie Sproul did a talk once with a big lecture hall at a, I think it was a Christian university, or I think it was just a gathering of a bunch of Christians, and he asked, he had them all close their eyes so that nobody was kind of embarrassed about asking this question, but he said, everybody raise your hand who's, and I won't do this here, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but raise your hand if you've read the book of Genesis, and you know, almost all the hands go up. He says, all right, now raise your hand if you've, you've read Exodus, and almost all the hands go up. And as it goes on, once it gets to Leviticus, you see about half, you know, more than half the room, probably 25% of the hands are the only ones that are left up. Because as people do like some kind of yearly Bible reading plan, or they're like, you know, I'm going to read through the whole Bible, they get to Leviticus and they kind of like trail off. Uh, Because Leviticus is a book of a lot of laws and ordinances. But I honestly think the more you understand the gospel, the more this book kind of like comes alive. And so while it, it, it seems it can be kind of boring, all these laws, all these ceremonial practices, a lot of it is pointing towards the gospel, uh, not just pointing to what Jesus would come and do in his sacrifice, but even pointing to the kingdom of God that would come and be established over time in human history. So that's the context of the book of Leviticus. We're going to focus in on one particular command from God, which was the year of Jubilee, which was a year of rest for God's people. Uh, all the book of Leviticus still has application for us today, uh, or some kind of, in, in some ways, point towards the gospel. So it's absolutely relevant. If you haven't read the whole thing, go back, try it again. Uh, maybe just take your time and break it into smaller chunks or something. Four points for today's sermon. For those that are note takers. First, God built rest into creation. God commands us to rest. God brings us rest, and we respond by resting. God built rest into creation. God commands us to rest. God brings us rest, 
and we respond by rest. I'll read the passage, and we'll pray and dive in. So Leviticus 25, 8-12, if you have a Bible, go ahead and follow along with me. Just a short couple passages, and I think it'll even be up on the screen for us. So, Verse 8. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years. The time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout your land. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. That 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat the produce of the field. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is such a difficult thing for us as Westerners especially to to rest. God, I confess uh, my own failure in this. And I'm sure many of us struggle in the same way to cease from our labor, to take a break and pull ourselves uh, out of the equation. We think that we're uh, super important to the world and that the world needs us. And if we just stop for a moment, the whole thing would fall apart at times. We are restless from the time we get up trying to justify our existence before you, God. And this is foolishness and vanity. I pray that we would trust in you, that we would rest in what you've done for us. And that that would bring peace and life to our souls, God. Love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny that Rick asked me to uh, preach a couple messages on rest. Something that I do in preparing these sermons oftentimes is go over, go over them with my, my beautiful wife, Nicole, who's super gracious and patient, and, and she's my heresy checker. Uh, so <laughs> it's like... There's nothing crazy in there, is there? And it's funny, <laughs> as I'm going through most of this with her, uh, she, she said and was probably thinking in her head, what a hypocrite. Because <laughs> uh, I'm probably one of the most restless people she knows. I mean, how many times do I just sit down and do nothing in the house? Um, I'm, I'm always doing something. Uh, chores, moving around, listening to some kind of lecture or podcast, moving, helping the kids pick stuff up. Like, even when I'm at home, like, Resting is, is hard for me. Uh, I said something about saying no, which I'll talk about later, and she just rolls her eyes into the back of her head like, you never say no to anybody. Uh, it, it's very hard for me to rest, and it's funny that, that Rick would say that, and I think, um, yeah, just know that. And, and I think a lot of us as Westerners really struggle with this. this. This is like a big part of our culture in America is like a hard work ethic, and, and it's not really built into our society to take long periods of rest. Um, it's kind of looked down on in corporate America sometimes and in many different careers to take a time of stopping and ceasing and resting. Uh, but as we see in this passage, this is something that God had planned from the beginning of creation. So in verse 8, when it, taught, it says you shall count seven weeks of seven years, seven times, seven years. There's a little bit of math going on here. One interesting thing that I found Gordon Wenham, which is a, a biblical scholar, in his commentary, he believes that this was actually a, a shorter year of 49 days that would be established in the seventh month uh, of this 49th year as a way to get the Israelites' calendar back on track with the solar year. Some of that may sound weird and the math might be a little fuzzy, but he, he argues for this in his biblical commentary in this passage. And, and that's interesting we have leap years here in America 
Um, and if you look at verse 9, it kind of looks like this is starting in the seventh month of the 49th year. This isn't just some interesting piece of information, by the way. Uh, this has super big implications for our lives if it's true. I think Gordon actually makes a very good case for this. And the reason why this would have significant implication for us is that when God set up the calendar year for the Israelites, he was basically forcing them to have this jubilee year in order to get back on track. So it's something that God had built into the system before giving it to the Israelites. We were, some of the men in this church, we were having a discussion on, uh, on the creation days. And we talked about, somebody brought up the question, I've even heard it as like an objection to the Bible, like how is there, how is there days before the sun is created or whatnot? And, and I pointed out that, well, God had the idea of a 24-hour period in mind before he put the sun there. It wasn't something that he didn't think about. He had all of this in mind. So even when creating the year for the Israelites, he had this year of rest in mind. This is him building rest into the creation so that they would be forced to take this time to stop so that they would get back on track with the solar year. And this shouldn't be so crazy for us or, or bizarre. We see in Genesis 2, 2, that when God did the seven days of creation, that he stopped. He took a day of rest. And it wasn't as though God needed it. The all-powerful, all-sovereign, controlling God of the universe, who is at all times holding all things together, didn't need to stop. Uh, he didn't need to take a rest or a break from what he was doing. The text doesn't say that. It just says that he did. It just says that he rested. Every animal in existence has to sleep at some point. Scientists have tried to disprove this. Uh, the closest they got, I think, was dolphins and bullfrogs, but they found that even the dolphins were doing what's called hemispheric sleep, where one part of the brain was being put to sleep while the other one was still awake and vice versa. Uh, the bullfrog one was kind of interesting. Uh, they, were, they were shocking the bullfrog when they thought it was asleep or whatever, and it would have the same reaction times whether asleep or awake. A little cruel. But even the bullfrog, they found it was taking some periods of rest. So everything in existence rests. The land itself needs rest. There's a practice in the Old Testament, uh, what is, well, we now call it following, but essentially you would give the crops a rest. So you, wouldn't even, you would give a, a piece of land some time to rest before you would replant again. And this is something that's practiced all over the world and is even being practiced more here in the West over time as people see the benefits of this. Crazy that God knew about this so long ago. So we see that God has put this into creation. In verse 9, it talks about when it would start, which is also significant on the Day of Atonement. It says, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all the land in verse 9. And it's fascinating that the Day of Atonement would inaugurate this year of rest because of the, all of the ways in which the Day of Atonement was pointing forward to Jesus Christ, who is our ultimate rest. Uh, from the shedding of innocent blood on the Day of Atonement, the casting out of sins on the scapegoat. If you're unfamiliar with some of this stuff, go back and, and read some of these practices for the Day of Atonement. But there, there is a shedding of innocent blood for the people. There's a casting of sins onto the scapegoat that is cast out into the wilderness. Um, there, there's a special time of year where the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, which is the, the center place of the temple, the, the most holiest place. Now, all these things are pointing forward to Jesus Christ, who would come... He would be the innocent lamb shed for our sins. He would be the one who is taking our sins and casting them far away. And he would be the one bringing us into the presence of God as the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. So all of the Day of Atonement is pointing forward to Jesus who would be our ultimate rest and inaugurating this time of rest for the people of Israel. Very significant for them. This year of Jubilee, 
Uh, it says a trumpet is sounded throughout all the land. And this would have been a very special and sweet sound to many people this year of Jubilee because it's initiating a time of rest for God's people, but also a time of restoration, as we'll see. So God built rest into creation. Point two, God commands us to rest. Verse 10, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. One very important element to understand, just, just like the title of the series, God isn't just suggesting that they do this. He is commanding that they take this time and rest. Uh, is Teresa here? I thought I saw her earlier. Is there anybody else here in the military or been in the military? There's only a couple of us. Okay. Well, l- let me introduce you into a small aspect of military culture. Are you both familiar with uh, mandatory fun? Yeah. Okay. So... We, we have this thing in the military, it's kind of a joke, we call it mandatory fun, and, it, and it's basically like a company barbecue or something like that. It's supposed to be like a time where everybody gets together, and it's, you know, we, we in the military, we, it's a joke, we call it mandatory fun, because basically in our time off, the officer or first sergeant in charge wants us to come in and bring our family and, and basically come be at work again for a couple more hours on like a weekend or something. So we call it mandatory fun because the whole joke behind it is, is it's not very restful at all. Uh, For some of us, it's very stressful. We really don't want to go to mandatory fun. But God is giving them basically a mandatory time of rest. The difference is God gives a lot of freedom in this. I mean, he doesn't give them a lot of clear directions as far as what that rest would look like. When we were having the, the staff meeting earlier this week and we were kind of talking through this passage, somebody brought up, maybe I should talk about rest and what it would look like to rest. And I honestly, I, I fear of prescribing something that may be an unnecessary burden. That, that I mean, the truth is, I don't know what rest looks like for each individual person. I think there's wisdom in it. There's some things that we might think are restful, which really aren't. We're not letting our mind rest. We're not looking to God for some sense of spiritual rest. We need physical rest. We need spiritual rest. Um, But like a good example is gardening. Is gardening work? For me, yes. I don't want to do yard work. But for some people, it it brings them a lot of joy and rest. And and it's, it's even a very, I think, a very holy practice. I mean, looking back at Adam and Eve, you're kind of cultivating the land. And for some people, it brings them life and it brings them joy. For me, not so much. You, you, if my wife said, hey, I'm going to give you three hours. You can do whatever I want. You do whatever you want. You're not going to find me out in the backyard digging in the ground. But for some people, maybe that is. And, and, but here in, in this time of rest, God doesn't really give a whole lot of specific examples. Now, later on, the Israelites took this command and put all kinds of unnecessary burdens on the people as far as what that rest is supposed to look like. Um, and that's what I fear doing here. So when, when, he's, when he gives this command of rest, I don't want to put unnecessary burdens on you or say something that may not be restful for you, but I want to say I think you have a lot of freedom from God and what that rest looks like. And it, hopefully it doesn't look like mandatory fun in the military where it's being kind of forced on you and you're doing something you don't want to do. Hopefully you find a lot of joy and contentment in your rest. When God proclaims liberty in this year, this is most likely a call for slaves to be released. So any indentured servants in the land that have sold themselves into slavery, whether they pay back debts or something like this, this is meant for all of them to be released. 
I understand some people may be uncomfortable with the idea of slavery in the Old Testament. This is not a passage on that. If it were, I would give an apologetic defense for that, but it's not. If you do struggle with that, please come talk to our pastor. We have excellent answers for any objection when it comes to the Bible. And I've dealt with many over the years. But if you have a question about it. So, so far we have a year of rest and a year of freedom, but this is also a year of redemption. Look at the last part of verse 10, when it says, return to his property and each of you return to his clan. Returning to property and returning to clans, this is a return to the land that was originally allotted to the Israelite people. So God's people come into the promised land. God kind of divvies up the land amongst his people. Individual families have different plots of land. But as, as we know here in America in our own time, sometimes people fall on hard times. Sometimes due to no consequences of their own decisions, uh, times just get hard. Maybe they have to sell their property, give away some of their stuff. What's interesting about this is this law was to make sure that the families always had something to go back to. When it's talking about going back to their property and clans, if you were to sell or put up your family property in the year of Jubilee, you were able to go back and reclaim it free of charge. So it was a way to make sure that a family never ended up destitute, that there was always an opportunity for them to go back in this time of Jubilee. And this, by the way, would be groundbreaking in our own day. Uh, some people may think this is backward thinking or anything, but... Uh, this not only provided relief for the family, but it forced lenders to be responsible. Anybody who knows anything about personal finance, can I get an amen, hallelujah? I don't know if anybody's super into that stuff, but I am. Um, and is anybody familiar with the term predatory lending or, or those kinds of practices? There's stuff like payday loans, leasing. I mean, some of this stuff just leads people into a poverty cycle that never ends. As the compound interest increases, increases, you know, in Nevada, there, there are more, oh, what did it say? There, were, there are more payday loans centers than there are casinos or something like that. I don't know. It was something crazy. Like there's a payday loan almost on every single counter in Las Vegas. And some of their interest rates are as high as 674%, 674%. And the national average is 400%. This is a law that would force those who are lending people money to actually help to actually help them and be responsible with the amount that they were lending to different people. Uh, all this different stuff that, that can be incredibly oppressive and just lead families into more and more oppression and, and um, more and more debt and poverty, the year of Jubilee was meant to pull them out of it. It was this big act of God uh, best, basically rescuing and redeeming his people from you know, any different kind of life circumstances, but it was always a chance for the family to have something to hold on to. Um, some of this stuff just gets worse and worse as people end up in bankruptcy. Now, the Bible often makes an interesting analogy between debt, uh, personal finance, and our own relationship with God. God has given us incredible gifts. Life, food, relationships, homes, jobs, beautiful outdoors. And we come into this world with a debt we could never pay. But the, the fact of our existence alone, we, we owe God everything. And he pours out the blessings and takes it to such a higher level. And we take it to a higher level in a sense, but in the opposite direction. Not good. Uh, we do not repay him for what he gave us, but oftentimes we repay him with evil. What's interesting about our debt, both to God and one another, this year of Jubilee, it was seeking holistic reconciliation amongst the people. Uh, God's grace in this year was just, it wasn't just a spiritual rest, but there was actually, as we see, there's some kind of physical component to it. It wasn't just physical. It was also spiritual, inaugurating with the Day of Atonement. It was also economical. 
Uh, many, many people struggle with this, and many of our burdens comes just from the fact of finances. If, if you're the breadwinner in the house, or if you're kind of tracking the finances in your house, you feel some of the pressure of this stuff as you look and, and try to provide for your family and for the needs of them, and it can be incredibly stressful and very unrestful and causes a lot of unrest. I mean, you could come into places where you're having trouble sleeping at night and oftentimes grinding day in and day out to make sure you end, meet ends meet. But this rest was meant to bring, uh, it, it was meant to be a holistic rest for God's people. We don't live in a world that is simply spiritual. We don't live in a world that is simply physical. God has created a physical world for a purpose. There is a reason why we're flesh and blood. And there's a reason why God gives us this rest and, and, and commands this kind of rest, not just for our souls, but also for our bodies. There, there's something significant here. And it sounds counterintuitive, but something you can do to glorify God is to rest. I would even go so far as to say, like, do nothing. I was once talking with Rick about spiritual disciplines, and something that I've always struggled with was the spiritual discipline of, it's called um, silence and solitude. Anybody ever heard of this? Silence and solitude? So I, I, I think I was being a little fiery, and I challenged Rick on that, and I said, where is that in Scripture? You know, the, the spiritual discipline of, of silence and solitude, just sitting and not doing anything, you know? I think meditating on the Word of God, praying, all these things are kind of obvious, but I was like, where's silence and solitude? And uh, he put me to task. And, and I think he made some good points. I mean, to, to sit. So silence and solitude is the practice of just sitting and not doing anything, not praying, not reading your Bible, not meditating, but just literally sitting there and doing nothing. And I was like, I don't know how this glorifies God. Rick says, you know, in this practice, you are implicitly confessing that God doesn't need you that the world doesn't need you, that you can completely pull yourself out of existence for a minute and the world will not fall apart. That God's still in charge. He's the one at the helm of the ship. You can literally stop and cease from doing everything and life will continue. The world doesn't need you. And now I, I do that practice as well. So Rick convinced me. I, th I think you can actually glorify God by stopping, by ceasing. And this is what the Sabbath was meant to do. For the Israelites to participate in the weekly Sabbath and this year of Jubilee, it really did require faith. We see this in Exodus when he told them not to gather on that last day when he's giving them the, the, the manna and the quail. And he tells them on this day, you will not gather, but on the, the day previous, you'll gather twice as much. It required faith from the Israelites to trust that God was going to provide. So to stop is to have some kind of faith and trust that God is going to be the one to provide. Even in our own salvation, to sit back and stop and pull ourselves out of the equation, the equation and stop striving and, and trying everything we can do to earn it is, is to put faith and trust in God. This is to rest in our own salvation. Um, when we had the, the men's retreat, man, it must have been like three or four years ago now, when Ray Ortland came. Did anybody go to that one? Ray Ortland? Yeah, I think, I think uh, one of the things he said in his, one of his opening statements was, from the moment our feet hit the ground in the morning, we're trying to justify our existence. You know, it's something that we struggle with every day. We're trying to prove our place in the world and, and show everyone why we should be here. But to sit there and rest is, is, is to show that God doesn't need us. To rest and trust in the grace of God for our justification. Even as followers of Christ, 
Uh, we would say yes and amen to the fact that it's faith alone in Christ that saves us, but we can still struggle, struggle to rest. We, can, we, we fail to trust God. We fail to recognize his sovereignty. We, we, we struggle to trust his uh, sovereign control. We, we struggle to trust his goodness and his ability to carry things on to their intended destination. So this is why God has to tell them, if you continue on to verse 11, don't sow, don't reap. You can still eat the produce of the land, but he's saying take a break. We briefly talked about what it looks like to rest. And I absolutely think that there is rest for our souls when we spend time with God, whether in reading or meditating on his word and praying and serving others. But God here in this text in verse 11, he just commands them to cease from labor. Uh, there, there are other things that definitely bring us rest, but just stopping from what we're doing. And as I said before in this, there's a lot of freedom that God gives. There's no, there's no very explicit commands on what that rest looks like. God doesn't say spend this much time praying, spend this much time reading the Bible, spend this much time meditating, or this much time in songs and solitude, but he says, just stop. I mean, even in doing all those things, you're still working, you're still striving towards something, but God is just like, relax, I got this. You can, you can take a break. You don't have to try so hard. In verse 12, when he says, for it is a jubilee, it shall be holy to you, this is what makes God's way so much better than what we come up in our own wisdom, or, or I should say lack thereof. He says, it shall be holy to you, this year of Jubilee. So it's meant to be different. Holy means set apart, different from the rest of the world. Other nations were supposed to see this year of Jubilee put into practice by the people of Israelites, and they were supposed to praise God and long to be a part of the Israelite nation. They should have seen this and say, wow, how, how, how are these people able to do this? Just to rest, and God is still blessing them. He's still providing for them. Their God is in charge. They don't need to be working and doing all these things. Like, there's actually a God working and fighting for the people of Israelites. We've been seeing that in the book of Judges. Just with the book of, uh, of Gideon, as we just came out of, I mean, who won all those battles? If you were here over the last week, God is dwindling Gideon's numbers over and over and over again to show him, like, I'm the one that's going to bring you victory. Take it easy. I got it. You don't have to keep doing all these things, Gideon. I'm going to bring you victory. I'm going to bring you the promises that I've given to you. And that's the same thing that we need to hear ourselves. You see, when we rest in Christ for our justification, I mean, this is something that people long for. It's in our souls. Believers or not, everybody has this in their soul. And when they see Christians resting in the grace of God, this is something to be desired by all people. To know what it's like to live in this world and actually be able to rest knowing that all the promises that God given us are going to be fulfilled by him. The rest that he has given us, the rest that he's bringing into us, uh, or bringing us to, this is my third point, God brings us rest. Uh, the rest that we will receive in this life, it comes from the character of God, first of all. He holds it all together. He's in charge. He's good. He's sovereign. As R.C. Sproul said, there is no maverick molecule in all of existence that's going to go haywire and mess up the plans of God. He knows everything that's happening, working all things together for the good of his people and for his own glory. And we can rest in that. We rest, uh, the rest we receive now that God has given us is our hopeful expectation of the things that come from our God. This is the gospel, that he has saved us, that when we stand on judgment day, we won't sit before God and point to all the work that we have done, but instead show that we, we've rested in Jesus Christ. We rest in the work that he did. He came. He lived that perfect life that I never could have lived. And so I rest in the grace of God to save me and bring me into salvation. And then third, the rest we receive will be given to us by God in glory. What does Jesus tell the disciples in John 14, 3? 
He tells him, I'm preparing a place for you. So even the kingdom of heaven that we're going to enter into is one that we haven't labored for. Jesus Christ is now building a kingdom for his people that when they enter into their final rest, it won't be something that we have strived for to obtain, but something that God will deliver over to his people. I mean, what joy is there in all these things that God has done for his people that we can just rest? We can stop, even in the next life in glory. His grace brought us here. His grace will take us there, and it will keep us forevermore. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this seems like such a simple command. Uh, simple but difficult. It is not easy to, to live this out. Whether it's in our own salvation, in the ways in which we try to demonstrate our own self-righteousness, or, or many other ways, God. We, I mean, we, don't, we struggle to trust in your provision, to trust in your gospel, to just step back for a moment and realize that you've got this. God, I pray that we would glorify you in the way that we would rest that we would still serve faithfully, but not as, you know, as, as people who have joyfully been given everything, not as people who need to earn anything, God. I pray that you would, you would give this to us. And if we're struggling with this, God, we pray that you would change this in our hearts, that we would trust and look to you for our rest. Amen. So we're about to move into a time of communion and offering, but I left off uh, one point. I mentioned the fourth point was we respond by resting. And I'd like to touch on that now. As you go to the table today and take of the Lord's Supper, take a sigh of relief. Remember what God has done for you so that you could cease from your striving and instead rest in his grace. Nobody's opinion of you matters more than God's. And if, you know, if that's what rest means like for you today, just saying no to someone. Um, I say this especially because Nicole kind of laughed at me when I said this, but I mean, maybe for some of us it is. Just saying, I, I can't do that. I need to spend some time resting. They'll survive. You know, God's got this. The world doesn't need you. God doesn't need you. Like, there's some rest in that. And rest in the truth of the gospel. And, and celebrate that. As we sing and you take the cup of communion, as we sing today and as you, as you go home for the rest of the day, like, remember the rest that God has given you. Take a sigh of relief. Take a breath. Take a breath. Take a moment. And recognize that, as I said before, God is sovereign. God's in control. God is good. And he's given us all these things. Maybe examine your life and see if you've been living as though he doesn't rule and reign over all existence and step back from the world for a second just to remember your place first for a moment. Amen?